0: For those of you on Zoom, you have the Parsha. Parshas Vayishlach on your screen in front of you. I'd like to, as we've done over the past couple of weeks, uh, work through the writings of Rav Hirsch, Rav Shimshin Rafal Hirsch, the great leader of the Jewish community in Germany from the mid to late 1800s. And he has a number of comments on this particular Parsha that are very much worth sharing. The focal point of our Parsha is the meeting between Yaakov and his brother Esav. Yaakov, as we read in last week's Parsha, spends some 20 years with his uncle Lavan, there he marries his four wives. He has so far 12 children, 11 sons plus Dina have already been born. And now at the end of last week's parasha, we already read about that. He saw that his uncle Lavan wasn't uh, quite treating him the same. His, uh, his nephew, his cousins, his cousins and Lavan's sons felt that Yaakov had stolen all of their wealth and it was time to go home. And in fact, Hashem himself appears to Yaakov at the end of last week's parasha and says, no. Nope, it's time to go home. It's time to return to the land of Eretz Yisrael. Last week's parsha, of course, concludes with Rachel stealing the idols of her father on the way out, and we have the whole. Uh, we should actually we should mention it in length because we're going to talk about it in a second. Lavan catches up to them and berates Yaakov and says, you stole this from me, and he searches everything, and then, of course, he doesn't find anything. Rachel had hidden them sufficiently well. And then Yaakov laces into Lavan and he says, what in the world did I do to you over these past 20 years that I've deserved this? What's my sin? I've, I've uh, absorbed all of the losses of your animals, whether they died during the day, at night. I froze myself at night. I was... I was uh, burning hot during the day, genuv siyom v'genuv tilay, the weather animals were stopped. I absorbed all of it. I took nothing from you. And look at how you're treating me. And see, he speaks very harshly. The Torah actually describes that he got angry, Rev, that he fought with Lovan. And Refersh is going to contrast that, which we concluded last week's parsha. this anger, this Yaakov confronting Lovan. Arguing with him, yelling at him, with what we're going to see in this week's parsha. Because our parsha begins with Vaishlach Yaakov Malachim. He sends these uh, agents. Rashi says angels uh, to Esav, basically to tell him, "My dear brother, I've been gone for twenty years, and I'm coming home." And he sends a peace treaty. He sends a peace treaty. We we learn we're not going to go through the beginning of our parsha. I want to focus on the battle that Yaakov has with the angel, the, the famous, uh, our wrestling match that Yaakov has with the angel and how Rav understands that, but he sends a peace treaty to his brother Esav, and he said, I don't want you to be angry with me, I don't want you to be upset here, I'm coming home, I got great wealth, but uh, I'm love and Garty. I've dwelled with our uncle Lavan, I've uh, took me a long time to be able to come home and here and accept my, uh, accept my peace offering. Two comments from, our first from the beginning of the Parsha and then we're going to take a look at the, at the wrestling match. Two comments on this idea that Yaakov sends a peace treaty, a peace offering to his brother. Number one, he says, there are two principles in life which conflict with Yaakov and Esav. And these two principles are the history of the entire world consists of this battle between what's represented by Yaakov and what's represented by Esav. In Yaakov is family life, he writes which is happy and creates happiness in Yaakov, family life on the one hand, and the glitter of political power on the other. And those two are at odds. One who just wants to be home with one's family, raising one's family, developing one's spiritual life versus being out there in the world in the glitter and the power of politics and battle. And in, for thousands of years, he writes, Rafarsh, this battle has raged. Whether it suffices, this is his poetic language, whether it suffices to be human beings and all social and political power are simply means for ensuring that the family life can develop. Meaning to say, you have to have an army, you have to have a government, you have to have somebody run the government. What's the point of the government? So is the point of the government to create a safe environment for families to develop and to have a social life, to have a spiritual life, to develop in peace and in prosperity? Then if that's the point of government, it's really not about the glitz of power, it's about creating a place for people to become actualized human beings. Or, the other way around is, I need people to have power so that when I have power, then I can dominate the world. And that battle of which one is serving which, they, both sides, the Yaakov side, the of side, acknowledge there are two powers. There's the power of the people, and there's the power of the government that rules over the people. And the question is, which one is serving which? And, the, and this has been, it says with all of mankind is fighting this battle of the spiritual endeavor of Yaakov, which is, we have to have power. There has to be, Jewish people have a king. There's such a concept of leadership. It's just a matter of that leadership is to serve so that the people can become what they can become, or are people simply the tools and the pawns in the hands of those who really search for leadership. We're going to get back to this concept as he sets it up, as it's going to trail ourselves. This is going to weave itself through the rest of the story. Comment number two he makes in the beginning of our parasha is, how how different is the attitude of Yaakov as he spoke to Lavan at the end of last week's parsha, and as he speaks to Esav in the beginning of this week's parsha? With Lavan, it was with anger. He confronted him. He was willing to give it to me. Laces into Lavan in last week's parsha. Ma What's my sin? What have I done wrong? And to Esav, Kosomar Somar He sends the messengers. Tell, tell my brother Esav his servant Yaakov sends this to him. He sends a picture. What a different response in terms of how Yaakov addresses the world around him. What is that difference? Says first, it's a very obvious and a very powerful difference. The difference is the strength and consciousness of innocence versus the feeling of guilt. And he explains... With Lavan, it came purely from a perspective of innocence. In the di- in the dynamic, the twenty year dynamic between Lavan and between Yaakov, where does Yaakov fit on the on the scale of who has been deceiving who, who has been mistreating who, who has a claim against who? It's totally one-sided. And that is one-sided in the perspective that Lavan has been mistreating Yaakov. And Yaakov is the innocent one. And when you're the innocent one and you confront your oppressor, so to speak, you can give it to him. Because there is no guilt of consciousness. He has done me wrong. And you might hold it in and hold it in and hold it in. But when it comes out to Lavan, it comes out fierce because Yaakov is innocent. He's the oppressed. In his relationship with his brother, Esav, however, as Refersh points out, that is reversed. When you look at the dynamic between Yaakov and Esav, and Esav, Yaakov's been gone for 20 years, why is he gone? Because he misled his brother. He stole a bracha from him. Now we can say he bought it many, many, many years earlier. and this was, That's all fine. At the end of the day, the event that took place Yaakov dressed up like Esav. He put on Esav's clothing. He put skins on his arms. He walked into his father and said, Anochi Esav bichorecha. I am Esav, your firstborn. And he took from his father that which was intended to go to Esav. And Esav was angry. When Yaakov now approaches Esav, it's from the perspective of someone who we know, in reverse language, feels hurt by us. And that person who is hurt might not see the motive which we used, and whether the motive justifies or not the action, it might excuse the action, we can debate whether or not it justifies it, but at the end of the day, Yaakov hurt Esav. Yaakov took something from Esav. And when you're the guilty party, Yaakov addresses Esav with great delicacy, with respect, Anochi Avdacham, your servant here, take these gifts, to Lavan, where Yaakov was the oppressed, then it's pure anger and he's able to lash out at him. And that is, says reverse you know, in all of our dynamics, when we, even if we feel we're, when this happens all the time, I could tell you as uh, all of my rabbinic colleagues can, hundreds of thousands of times in which two people stand before you and one person feels harmed by the other, and the person who did the damage, I, I need, I, whatever they feel, totally justified by it. It's true and they might even be right that they were justified in him. But when the way that it went is the dynamic went from this person harmed that person, the one who did the harm relates to that person totally different than when you are the complete oppressed one as Yaakov was with his brother with his uncle Lavan and that's the difference in terms of how he speaks to the two of them. Let's take a look at the actual story for this afternoon. The famous battle with the uh, angel, it is in Perek Lamed Bey's Pasuk. Chaf Gimel. I will get it for you here in front of you. Robert, uh, yes. Correct. Exactly. That's exactly right. A righteous indignation. Uh, here we go. Fa b'alayla Let's start with Chaf uh, Gimel twenty-three. Uh, let me give you English and the Hebrew together. Here we go, verse 23, top of your, uh, top of your sh- uh, screen. So where are we up to in the story? Let's just catch ourselves up. Yaakov has sent a series of gifts and messengers to, uh, messengers to his brother Esav, and now he's actually moving his family across to meet up with him. So Yaakov gets up that night, and he takes his two wives, his two uh, handmaids, his 11 children, and ma'avar yabok, he passes over a ford, a small little, uh river is too big of a word, a, a, a brook, a ford <coughs> of Yabok. He took them, he took all of his family. His four wives, his 11 children. Rashi here notes, Chazal, we're bothered by why it's only listed as having 11 children. We already were told that he's had 12 because Dina was born in last week's Parsha. Rashi famously notes the Medjush, which says that Yaakov hid Dina away he literally locked her up. The phrase, when, you know, we make fun of him. Ah, good-looking kid, lock him up. So that actually happened. That came from Yaakov who locked up his daughter Dina. He was afraid that Esav would lay eyes on her and uh, desire to marry her and that Esav would then take her over to the, the side of evil. And so he locks her up. There's much to discuss about that, whether Yaakov was correct or not correct. The idea this is <coughs> well, ongoing discussion amongst Jewish communities and families as to which one is going to influence which. Is it better to have more to do, um, an influence for tov, for good, or are we afraid that we will be influenced for bad? In any case, Yaakov chooses to lock Dina up, and therefore Chazal see that there were only 11 children who, so to speak, appeared before him, which we'll see later in the parsha. In any case, he takes all of them and he passes over this stream. I want to read through, let's read through the whole parsha, and then we'll go back over some of her comments, filling in the ideas. So Yaakov remains alone. Ra- Chazal again here, Rashi quotes why was Yaakov alone, he's got this whole entourage, he's got uh, 12 children, he's got all of these wives and they all had uh, lots of uh, caddies, he became a wealthy man. So Chazal famously here notes as well just to mention that he went back for pach and, and small little vessels that he had left behind, they forgot a toothbrush and he went back to make sure that they took everything with him. And from here Chazal learned, we learned an important lesson, the fact that Yaakov basically endangered himself. He traveled alone. He's now totally isolated from everybody else. And yet he did it for a small little nothing, little kleinakite, a small little vessel here, a the vessel there. Most of us would have said, forget it. Who cares? Leave it. We forgot it, pa. Forget it. No, Yaakov went back for it. So Chazal say, this teaches us, mikan la shechaviv alehem amonim, the money of a tzaddik, is more dear to them, megufan, even than their own physical well-being, than their own physical bodies. Why? Of course, Yaakov willing to risk his own physical safety to go back for a toothbrush. For what? Says Chazal, lefi kol begezel, because they never steal anything. If they have something because it was hard earned. It's a gift they see direct from Hashem. I worked for it, I earned it, I have to use it. It's part of the tools that I need in life to fulfill my life's mission. And if I leave a couple of dollars here, I waste a couple of things, what's gonna be when I need that money to fulfill what I need? If Hashem gave it to me, I need it. I just wasted it, a tzaddik feels chaser, he feels missing, he feels incomplete. In the same way, if a person would have intellectual abilities and not use them, we would all say, chaval, what a waste, what a waste, this person could have done so much and they didn't put forth the effort to do something. So too, a tzaddik feels any resources that I have, I I, I need it, I need it for, I don't know what, but I need to have it, and okay, now I'm going to spend more money on new toothbrushes. Well, that's more money I'm not going to have. And therefore, Yaakov was willing to go back. That's itself also a shmuz. We're going to keep going because that's not our topic for it today. So Yaakov is alone. And what happens when he's alone? Va'ye ish A man, some man comes and wrestles with him. Now, from the simple meaning of the puzzle, we have no idea who this person is. Chazal again fill us in that this was Saro Shel Esav. This is the angel, the representative of Esav himself. And they wrestle ad alos ashachar. Again, let's, let's read the whole Parsha for a little bit. Vayar kilo And this angel, this Ish, this person wrestling with Yaakov, sees that he can't prevail. He's trying. Who's the aggressor? It's Clearly, it's this man. It's this Ish. Yaakov doesn't start up with him. The Pesach says, ishimo. This man comes and wrestles with him, and he can't defeat him. Vayar kilo yecholo. So instead, what he is able to do is he uh, grips... Or he wrenches from its place a Yaakov's hip at its socket, vateka kaf Yaakov behe of and the socket of his hip becomes strained or removed. Somehow, he, he his hip is displaced while they are um, while they are wrestling the, the joint of the thigh. And then this ish, this malach that was wrestling with Yaakov that wasn't able to defeat him but was able to harm him, then he says in Pesach Chav Zion, "Let me go, leave me, ki Allah shachar For dawn is breaking. And Yaakov responds, "Lo hashalecha im beirach Yaakov says, "I am not letting you go until you bless me." Okay, the story continues, but let's at least stop here and fill in some pieces. Number one, who started this fight? So the angel starts to fight, this ish, this person starts to fight. But then, who's in control at the end of the fight? So normally, if you're the bully and you start up with somebody, and let's say you really wanted to pulverize the guy, and you couldn't, but you were able to hurt your victim, and now you're done, right? So who ends, the, who ends it? The bully ends it. He's the one who started up. He tried to pulverize his victim. He wasn't able to, but he hurt him. Now you're done, go walk away. Why, by the end of the story, the Malach has switched positions. He's the one who started up. He's the one who tried to defeat Yaakov and was at least able to hurt him. And then when he wants to leave, it's Yaakov holding on to him. And the angel says, let me go. And Yaakov says, I won't. Let me go. I can't. I won't. All of a sudden, now Yaakov's in control and he determines when the battle will end. And Yaakov says, not until you bless me. So that's a strange request from a guy who's just been attacked, who has been attempted to be completely uh, negated, who was able to fend off his attacker to the degree where, okay, he got hurt, and he's limping, and now he's able to say, I wa- I'm in control, I won't let you go until you bless me. What is the meaning of this entire episode? One of the famous episodes of Chumash, all of the commentators have their uh, approaches to it. Let's take a look at Rav Hirsch's approach as to what this means. He starts, He starts with the idea of vaye oveik, ishima. What's the language used for this battle, this wrestling match? A very interesting language of vaye oveik. Avak literally means dust. Dust, not even earth, like dirt. Dirt is a different word. We would call it afar. Not afar, but avak literally is the dust that floats when you put a book down on a table that hasn't been used for a while and you see the little clouds of dust that, that kick up, that's avak. And the language for a fight, this wrestling match is vaye avek, says reverse. What that refers to is as follows. Avak is exactly what we call dust because these particles of earthly matter are detached from the earth. They've lost all their weight. They have nothing to hold them down. So the slightest little bang on a table or a breath of air even will kick them up because they don't have permanence. They don't have that which attaches them to the ground. And therefore, the dust floats in which the angel of Esau tries to say to Yaakov, you have no place in this world. This is not your place. We spoke about a couple of weeks ago when they're still in the womb and Yaakov and Esau are fighting. And what are they fighting over? So Chazal say, Olam hazeh or Olam haba. Yaakov says, You're gonna, I'm going to take Olam haba. Esau, you take Olam hazeh. And Esau says to Yaakov, this is not your world. You don't belong here. We don't want your presence here at all. We're, we're a generation um, not far removed from the Holocaust. The idea of a nation saying, you don't belong on earth. There is no place for you here, is the argument that the of says, You're like dust that doesn't even have the weight to stay where you are. You just float up in the air and end up um, anywhere. When does this battle take place? That Esav says to Yaakov, I'm going to make you into dust. That's how the type of wrestling match that I want to have. So the Pasuk says, Was alone. This is a battle that takes place where there is no help Yaakov stands alone, a Jew, uh, 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 literally by himself in the world. And it's Ad Alos Ashachar, until dawn. Well, if the battle takes place until dawn, obviously, when is it taking place? In the middle of the night. says Rav Hirsch, as long as night reigns on earth as long as that's the period of time that we're in, as long as the consciousness of minds of men are confused, darkness always represents the inability to see, to discern, to know the difference between right and left, which in a deeper sense always means the difference between that which is right and that which is wrong, that which is meaningful and that which is nonsense. It's hard to discern the difference between that which is really important and that which seems important, but it doesn't really matter. The minds of men are confused and things are not recognized clearly, distinctly for what they really are. In that period of time, the Jew will always have struggle and opposition. Because we represent something in the world that the darkness of night, clouds, and the world around us doesn't see is the same value that we do. And it is with this spirit at night that Esau, equipped with the orb of empire, meaning all the power of what the world offers, the glitz and glitter of power, with the scepter and the sword, attacks Yaakov. And Yaakov recognizes that he is the weaker being. Who's the one who attacks? It's Esav attacking Yaakov. The presence of Yaakov in the world of the scepter and the sword, the presence of Yaakov, the ishtam, wholesome, yo'shev ohalim, doesn't fit in the world of might makes right. And that powerful nation, that powerful sense, attacks the presence of Yaakov until until night will end. But during the night... Yaakov will always be threatened with, you have no place here in this world. What does he attack? So he attacks, he tries to physically pick him up and throw him down to the ground, but he's not able to. Vayar kilo But he's able to dislodge the hip socket, attaching the thigh from its place. What is the significance that of all places that this angel attach, attacks Yaakov and says, I can't destroy you. I, I can't completely, so to speak, pick you up like a piece of dust that has no place, but I'm going to remove the thigh. I'm going to attack that. says Refersh that um, the yerech, the thigh, is the fleshy muscle which controls the hip bone on which firm standing and walking on the ground is conditional. What, what happens when that thigh, when the hip bone is dislodged? You limp. What does it mean to limp? It means I don't have firm ability to walk on this earth. I'm, my ability to control myself, to stand firm, has been weakened. So the opponent of Yaakov wished to literally pick him off the ground and throw him down as if he has no place, but he couldn't succeed in doing that. So what he does is he grips him on his hip joint, and as Yaakov resists, the muscle is torn from its ligament, and he can't control the leg, so he's a limp He's rendered limping accordingly. says What's the meaning of that, says Refersh? Throughout the whole struggle of the night, all of our exile, Yaakov's opponent tries to take the ground from under his feet, to give him no standing at all, to have no claim to exist at all on earth. Famous quote from, I'm just cutting in here, on, from um, Mark Twain. When Mark Twain wrote in 1899, who, uh, which is the same year that her first passed away. So Mark Twain wrote The Question of the Jews. See, he wrote the fa- his famous piece about what's the secret for Jewish survival? How can it be? And he describes how the Jew has accomplished so much, far more than their numbers suggest what they should be able to have done, and they've done it all with two hands tied behind their back. That's this description of we have been to every piece of resource has been threatened, taken away, and yet somehow they continue, we continue to move forward. So this, this idea of claiming you have no place on earth, they will never succeed in doing, but what they will be able to do is to lame him, to weaken his material means and to hinder him in using his natural abilities and strength for making steady progress on earth. Our goal, the parable is steady progress, keep moving forward. Moving forward, of course, in a spiritual sense, bringing a light to the world, showing the world what morality means, what it means to have one God, what it means to take care of family, what it means to see what's important in life. But we can't even do that unhindered. Even that ability of the Jew to move forward is always with one hand tied behind our back. Our resources are held up, the material means that we need. Our natural abilities and strength are not, we are weakened so that we can't walk without a limp. We have to limp as we do so. And that's this battle that takes place until Ad Alos HaShachar. When dawn breaks, when the light of the sun appears over the horizon and all of a sudden everything becomes clear. All of a sudden, that which was dark and clouded and no discernment as to what's the purpose of this world. Oh, the purpose isn't to be the best at sports? Ah, I thought it was. The purpose isn't to make a lot of money? I thought it was. The purpose isn't to be a powerful... I thought it was. No, there's a different purpose that God had in mind when he created the world of what he wants for us as individuals, as a nation, and as humanity. And that purpose is not clear right now. But the sun is gonna shine one day and we're getting closer and closer to the break of dawn. And when dawn breaks, the angel says, I gotta go. I've been fighting you, I've been hindering you, I've been slowing down your progress the entire time and all of a sudden now the light just turned on and I'm the problem. Because you, Yaakov, were actually moving humanity towards the goal that it was set up for and I've been stopping you the whole time. I don't wanna be here, I gotta go, I have to leave. And Yaakov turns the table and says, no deal. When light breaks, that's what turns the table. As long as it's dark, who's the oppressor? Esav is the oppressor against Yaakov. The only thing that changes is is the ray of sun that comes over the horizon, and all of a sudden Yaakov becomes in control because when that light will shine, now it's clear what this was about. And it's Yaakov who's the one who's doing that which was supposed to have been done. And Esav was the problem. And so Esav le- wants to leave. The malach says, I have to go. And Yaakov says, no way, not until you bless me. Says Rav Hirsch. what is Yaakov asking for? And this is one of the most beautiful pieces, a poignant piece that our Bubbas and zaydis and their Bubbas and zaydis and for a 2,000 years of exile would have yearned to be able to see this line in its fulfillment. Yaakov says, bless me. Meaning, it's not enough for you just to leave me alone. It's not enough for you just to say, oh, the light was turned down. I didn't realize you're actually the guy. Okay, I'll stop fighting with you. Go ahead, carry on, do your thing. That's not enough in Jewish history for the Tsar of Esav to simply say, okay, I'll stop bullying you. Okay, I'll leave you alone. No. I will not let you go, Yaakov says, until you bless me. In Rav Hirsch's language, Yaakov says, throughout the whole long night, 2,000 years of exile, you've attacked me. You looked at me as the obstruction. We have to get rid of the Jew. He's the problem. He's the cause of all of the world's uh, issues. And the only the goal of all of life was to remove the Jew from life in one continuous attack. And now daylight has finally broken, and you are ready to give up the fight. But I, now Yaakov says, I'm not giving up this fight until you pay me my due. You acknowledge me by blessing me. And the purpose of history, says Refersh, will not be accomplished just by a Yaakov being forced to absorb. To, to, absorb, to be absorbed by the masses of the nations, but by the reverse, when the nations will see it last, will get the insight that it is just the principles which Yaakov has represented and held aloft for all of these struggles, that their happiness, that their security rests. You bless me and say, I actually depend on you. I need your morality, I need your spirituality, I need every blessing that you bring to the world, It's not enough that the nations should just leave us alone when light comes over the horizon. They need to acknowledge, you are the cause of all blessing in this world. That is the phrase we say in Hala, one of the beautiful phrases. Uh, Evan. Evan ma'asu abonim, thank you. Evan ma'asu abonim, the stone. Ma'asu, which means despised. The stone that was despised by the builders. Yuck, we can't use the stone. It's too weak. It's too small. It's misshapen. This is the worst stone to build with. Ha'issa Roche pina Becomes the centerpiece. Becomes the foundation stone of the whole world. We don't yearn just for the nations of the world to leave us alone. We would, we, we, we would like that. It would be nice if they would just leave us alone for a little bit. But that's not the end of days. That's the angel saying, Oh, it's dawn, I'm out of here. And Yaakov holds on to him and says, No, you can't leave yet until you bless me. Until you say, I have actually been, for these past 2,000 years, the source of all blessing in the world. I've actually been the one moving the world forward, and you've been holding me back. Then. I will let you go," and the angel at this point changes Yaakov's name from Yaakov to Yisrael. Yaakov, which means heal, the bottom, the forgotten, the end. You're no longer going to be identified as that which is just towards the bottom of forgotten peace. From here on out, you're called Yisrael. You have fought, so to speak, with angels and have succeeded. The name of Hashem will be part of that name, and you will take your place amongst in the, in the history of, of the world, of what we've actually accomplished and brought to the world. This, refers Hirsch sees, this is the, his understanding of this battle, this wrestling match of Yaakov and Esav, which as he said it from the beginning of the Pasha, these two powers of what is the world about. Is it about the family, so to speak, and the family, what comes out of the family, individual growth of the individuals and the family on a spiritual quest, or is it about the power of the world around us And on that, on that, is this battle with the angel as Yaakov is about to meet up with his actual brother, Esav. And uh, we'll just conclude with one last point. After they actually meet up, and uh, it turns into a peaceful meeting as uh, Yaakov was afraid it would not, Esav then invites Yaakov to come with him. And Yaakov famously says, no thanks. Esav says, no, it's no problem, really, it'll be great. Oh, you're too slow? I'll send my men, they'll accompany you. And Yaakov says... You know what, it's really not a good idea because I have all of this flock with me. I have my wives, I have my children. If I push them too fast, they're all gonna die. I need to go slowly. You go on up ahead, and I'll get there when I get there. And Yaakov says "Hey, I can't run with you. I don't run in those circles. I can't keep up. I'm gonna put my head down and slowly, slowly, slowly work my way through time, work my way through history. I'm gonna deal with all the things that are gonna come of my large group, weak, not really protected, open to attack, but this is the only way we're gonna do it. But we're gonna march through and eventually we'll catch up. And when we catch up and that dawn breaks, you will give me the blessing of what I really am, what I've actually contributed, and acknowledging that you've actually been slowing down. You think the purpose is power and money and all the wealth. You've been slowing down the true power by holding me back, and when you bless me, then indeed, as Chazal say, the angel returns up to Shemayim to sing shira, to sing its, its song of praise, but only when it acknowledges Yaakov for who he is. Those are the thoughts of Rav Hirsch on this uh, wrestling match. Pleasure always learning with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Come in person. It's great here. Come in person. We look forward to seeing you. And uh, we'll learn again. Mirza Hashem. Next week, have a great day, everyone.